Well, all eyes this afternoon will be on Finance Minister Inoko Dongwana as he delivers his medium-term budget policy statement. Lots of different expectations that you would have heard coming through from different players, whether it's business, uh, you trade unions, labor, uh, civil society, NGOs, very different expectations on how they all believe this budget should actually go. But uh, to join us to discuss a bit further in terms of what realistically we can expect to come out of this budget. We'll be talking with the Institute for Economic Justice's uh, Nathan Taylor, and he'll be joining us for uh, this conversation shortly. And certainly looking forward to hear about the research that they are doing and whether or not uh, the research that they've been doing and what the key areas to look out for are. Nathan, good morning to you and thanks for your time today. Good morning, Kathy. Hi. Yes, so let's talk about just, um, you know, some of the work that you've been doing from the perspective of the Institute for Economic Justice. You know, I know that one of the things that y- you you are often able to, to look at is a assess the state of the budget and actually ask questions about whether a budget that has been tabled and passed is a constitutional budget and if it aligns with the constitutional imperatives of our government. Um, I I think that generally the problem is we have a wonderful constitution. It's just really the question is how does it play out in reality and Mm. and what kind of what kind of uh, that the Constitution Court itself is willing to set itself um, in terms of what uh, jurisdiction. Um, because obviously what we're looking at is kind of commonly called the austerity budget, and it's not the first year, and we won't be expecting anything different from today. We'll be looking at just a further slashing of funds to essential services and reprioritization rather than actually providing a better stimulus of funding to necessary departments and uh, expenditure. Um, whether that can hold up outside of governmental decisions, it really comes down to policy process. What what real opportunity do you have to engage a policy process? What real opportunity does the public have to actually say what they feel, how they see the uh, budget being planned? And you get you get these kind of very shallow offerings by National Treasury. As usual, after today, you will have I think it's one week or two weeks to table your response uh, from whether whatever part of civil society you are, and they'll log that, and then they'll just go ahead. There's, there's mm-hmm. not really any consideration of it. So, so, so in your view, Nathan, when we, because we are dealing with what is a constrained, you know, fiscal environment, we're consistently told about how government does not have enough money uh, to meet or to fulfill all of the promises that have been made to the people of South Africa. Do you think that this is a situation we're always going to find ourselves in that the need far outweighs the capacity of government to deliver? I think very much it does come down to the question of trade-offs. Uh, you have to prioritize what you're going to focus on first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it is. Obviously, you do have to be realistic in some sense. It's not about trying to solve every single problem at once. Um, but the question is, are you making progress on this issue? And the problem is, if you approach it in the way of, okay, well, we can't afford it, so we're just going to simply slash and slash and slash and try to reduce our debt-to-GDP ratio um, to try to get this mythical idea of growth. What you're really kind of missing in this question is, 
route you are taking, is it actually helping you achieve those goals? Or, is it, or are you actually worsening the situation? Um, and for at least my part in IEJ, for our question, it's really about social welfare and how social welfare is usually seen as this idea of wasteful expenditure. And so obviously what you have to do is you, try, you have to try to find ways to limit it, to reprioritize it, in some way to make sure it's not a burden on the economy. But the problem is when you really look at it, whether you look at the global research, when you look at the research in South Africa, what you really start questioning is, is it wasteful expenditure? Is it really wasteful expenditure? And, and really, when you start thinking about it, it's quite obvious. What happens when you give the poorest of society disposable income? Mm. What happens to your local economy? And I mean, it's, it's actually quite obvious, really, when you start playing it out. What you're doing is you're driving development, driving local economy. You're driving growth at a people-centered level. So when you really have to ask about this reprioritization, we really have to ask about this idea of can we actually afford it? What you really have to say is, are the choices you're making digging the hole deeper or not? Because it's not necessarily about whether we can afford it or not. In absolute terms, we can. There are ways to do it. The question is whether you think it's desirable. There have been different views, including from business around how government should tackle uh, this issue about, uh, you know, extending social spending. And one of the suggestions that that often comes through in the commentary is that we don't want South Africa becoming a welfare state. And so any increase in social spending then perhaps creates room for South Africa to become a welfare state and that business is more interested in the government fixing the growth rate of the economy than extending social spending. Is that a fair way of looking at the situation given where we are as a country right now and, and having to deal with the real-time effects of, 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 of the pandemic? So obviously, I mean, really, what you got there is the term of the idea of the welfare state. It's a horrible, dirty word. Funny enough, if you go back to what the 1970s to the 1990s, um, you've got this idea of it was the golden mark, whether you could be a capitalist country, a welfare state. And it's funny how that's really changed in the last few decades. Um, and what really talks to is kind of a neoliberal framework, which, I mean, we can go into. But the problem is what you're doing is you transposing this idea of the welfare state against economic growth. And really, that's the idea. That the issue is the assumption is that expanding wealth, it comes at the cost of economic growth. It's one or the other. And it's absolute bollocks, actually. And the problem is, because when it comes down to the budget, you, there's a budget for society and there's a budget for government. In terms of what happens today, we have to play around with the numbers and we have to find out how they're going to prioritize things. And when you come to the questions of, okay, well, we cannot afford welfare. We can't afford the SID. We cannot afford to extend it. We can't afford it looking at it basic income guarantee, we can't look at these things. We just can't afford it. And you get to play around with these numbers and you get to prove that's true. The problem is, what are you actually doing? Because what we saw in July is that actually the cost of poverty it still has to be paid. Whether or not it is on your book, it will be on somebody's book. And the thing is, if we look at what happened when we just stopped the SRD in the middle of the pandemic, which is still ongoing, you, you can kind of see what comes to fruition. And sure. the reality is that's just the public face of it. Mm. Nathan, we're going to continue our conversation in a moment. I want to quickly go to uh, Nomsam Gluli, who's standing by with the latest news headlines. Nomsa, good morning to you.
Good morning, Kathy. In the headlines, Finance Minister Enoch Kodongwana will deliver his maiden midterm budget policy statement this afternoon amid an energy crisis that is crippling the economy. City Power says it has met with its legal team to discuss uh, taking Eskom to court over its insistence that the municipal power utility implements load shedding in the city of Johannesburg. And as political parties race against time to form coalitions for the 66 hung municipalities following the recent local government elections, Michael Evans, an attorney at Weber Wenzel, believes coalitions aren't necessary. Evans says by law that by way of Municipal Structures Act uh, provides a far better solution to the situation. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation reflecting on this afternoon's medium-term budget policy statement by Finance Minister Enoch Kodongwana. A business, of course, is saying that the minister should not bow to the pressure from labor and even from civil society when it comes to increased spending on the wages of public servants and also on, so, uh, on, 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 on social security. But what do you think are the costs of not increasing uh, spending for social security? What are the consequences for that? Nathan was talking about the fact that the July riots or protests, however you want to describe them, have very much painted a picture and given an indication of the scale of need in the country. And that without further support, we are creating an environment that makes incidents like that you know, just one one matchstick away, effectively, from, from happening. So the ground becomes ripe for that kind of activity. Do you agree with that sentiment? I'll take your views on 011-714-2006. That's the number to dial to get in touch with us this morning. On the WhatsApp line, 0614-104-107. And on Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. The hashtag there is SAFM Talking Point. Nathan, what do you believe are the consequences if we do have much of the same when it comes to the approach to this budget policy statement? Um, I think we had a dead end. Because, look, if we go at the same, what probably Godwin is going to say is France to mention at all, which we assume is probably going to be quite, he's going to kind of avoid it as best as he can. But what we're going to, all we're going to really hear is, well, the COVID SID grant is set to expire. The, the government itself has been choosing to terminate it. It's just this hour it is that he cannot afford to extend. That is simply the reality. The problem is that reality is going to meet a bigger one. All the way South Africa actually is at the moment. And we obviously saw that in July. But the problem with July, okay, we say 50 billion rand lost in the week. That's when you actually see a public. The, question, the actual reason is poverty is an ongoing cost in society. Mm. A massive one. You look at the strain on health and food. When you do not solve poverty, the problem is you are still paying for it. You as a taxpayer are paying for it. The government is paying for it. Everybody pays for it, whether out of your pocket, psychologically, your health. It does. The cost will be met. So if we go past February and we don't see kind of an extension of the SID, we don't see any plan to actually support currently 10 million people without any source of income or employment whatsoever, you, you have an unsustainable situation. 
we, we can talk about oh, the government can't afford it, the government can't afford it. But the problem is that you aren't willing to face the reality of the situation. You, you're simply going to, you're going to hit it dead end. There's, there's really mm. no way around it. Mm. And and do you believe that there are alternative means or measures that we can be looking into in terms of reducing poverty that won't include or that don't include an increase in social spending? <laughs> um, I think if you roll back 20 years and what today we're probably going to hear is the wonderful idea for industrial policy. And if you probably did that 20 years ago, you would have a very different country today. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, look, if you look at the tra- trajectory of economies around the world, it's generally industrial policy that has driven the growth and the upliftment of the majority of people. And instead, obviously, what we have in South is going into an early deindustrialization, where the because we started to open our borders, embrace neoliberal uh, trade policies, and it kind of just killed out a lot of our different sectors. And so the problem is, we, at a stage where we do have to do both, it's not that we should not create jobs, it's not that we should not grapple with a with a kind of growth with the industrial policy that is actually beneficial to the people in the country, mm. not just to swap profit. But we do need to look at welfare at the same time. We um, we have decided to put ourselves in a situation. There's not really another way around that. So I do think we do need to expand welfare. There's no way around you it has a forty percent unemployment rate. You can't fix that by saying tomorrow, okay, we can expand the expanded works program. You can't provide the number of jobs required for the number of people without disposable income in, in the short term. It, it's just impossible. And the problem is, it's not a problem that goes away until you reach this magic idea of economic growth. It doesn't wait until that. So we do need to find a way to juggle it. And there are going to have to be costs that get paid. And in the meantime, you have to look at the idea of welfare. There's no way around that. But what helps is if you actually understand that there is a productive value to it, that what you're actually doing is putting an economic stimulus into your economy, into your society, into mm. your community. All right. Nathan Taylor, Researcher's Associate at the Institute for Economic Justice. We'll leave it there for this morning. Thank you so much for your time on the talking point. So how do we then resolve poverty in this country?